Chapter Three, Part One of the Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Teresa Downey. Not long after Elizabeth's return from Richmond, her sister was married to the Reverend Albert Hopkins, professor in Williams College. The wedding had been delayed for her coming. I would rather wait six years than not have you present, her sister wrote. This event brought her into intimate relations with a remarkable man, a man much beloved in his days, and whose name will often reappear in these pages. The next two or three months showed that her Richmond life, although so full of happy experiences, had yet drawn heavily upon her strength. They were marked by severe nervous excitement and fits of depression. This, however, passed away, and she settled down again into a busy home life, but it was no longer the home life of the past. The year of absence had left a profound impression upon her character. Her mind and heart had undergone a rapid development. She was only twenty-two on her return, and had still all the fresh, artless simplicity of a young girl. But there was joined to it now the maturity of womanhood. Of the rest of the year a record is preserved in letters to her cousin. These letters give many little details respecting her daily tasks and the life she led in the family and in the world but they are chiefly interesting for the light they shed upon her progress heavenward her whole soul was still absorbed in divine things at times her delight in them was sweet and undisturbed then again she found herself tossed to and fro upon the waves of spiritual conflict perfectionism was just then much discussed and the question troubled her not a little as it did again thirty years later but whether agitated or at rest her thoughts all centered in christ and her constant prayer was for more love to him. Portland, September 15, 1841 The Lord Jesus is indeed dear to me. I cannot doubt it. His name is exceedingly precious. Oh, help me, my dear cousin, to love him more, to attain his image, to live only for him. I blush and am ashamed when I consider how inadequate are the returns I am making him. Yet I can praise him for all that is past, and trust him for all that is to come. I cannot tell you how delightful prayer is. I feel that in it I have communion with God, that he is here, that he is mine, and that I am his. I long to make progress every day. Each minute seems precious, and I constantly tremble lest I should lose one in returning, instead of pressing forward with all my strength. No, not my strength, for I have none, but with all which the Lord gives me. How can I thank you enough that you pray for me? September 18th. I am all the time so nervous that life would be insupportable if I had not the comfort of comforts to rejoice in. I often think my mother would not trust me to carry the dishes to the closet if she knew how strong an effort I have to make to avoid dashing them all to pieces. When I am at the head of the stairs, I can hardly help throwing myself down, and I believe it a greater degree of just such a state as this which induces the suicide to put an end to his existence. It was never so bad with me before. Do you know anything of such a feeling as this? Tonight, for instance, my head began to feel all at once, as if it were enlarging, till at last it seemed to fill the room. And I thought it large enough to carry away the house. Then every object of which I thought enlarged in proportion. When this goes off, the sense of the contraction is equally singular. My head felt about the size of a pin's head, our church and everybody in it appeared about the bigness of a cup, etc. 
these strange sensations terminate invariably with one still more singular and particularly pleasant i cannot describe it it is a sense of smoothness and a little of dizziness if you never had such feelings this will all be nonsense to you but if you have and can explain them to me why i should be indeed thankful i have been subject to them ever since i can remember i never met with a physician yet who seemed to know what it is the matter with me or to care fig whether i got well or not all they do is roll up their eyes and shake their heads and say oh as to the wedding we had a regular fuss so that i hardly knew whether i was in the body or out of it the professor was here only two days he is very eminently holy his friends say and from what i saw of him i should think it true this was the point which interested sister in him as soon as the wedding was over my spirits departed and fled it is true enough that marriage involves one union but many separations october seventeenth we had a most precious sermon this afternoon from the baptist minister on the words christ is all and in all i longed to have you hear the saviour thus dwelt upon i did not know how full the apostles were of his praise how constantly they dwelt upon him till it was spread before me thus in one delightful view oh may he become our all our beginning and our ending our first and our last i do love to hear him thus honoured and adored let us dear cousin look at our saviour more let us never allow aught to come between our hearts and our god speak to me as your own soul urging me onward and if you do not see the fruits of your faithfulness here may you see when the sowing is turned to reaping october twenty fourth i must call upon you to rejoice with me that i have to-day got back my old sunday-school class i wondered at their being so earnest about having me again yet i trust that god has given me this hold upon their affections for some good purpose i do not know exactly how to discriminate between the suggestions of satan and those of my own heart but for a week past even while my inclinations and my will were set upon christ something followed me in my down-sittings and my uprisings urging me to hate the lord jesus asking if his strict requirements were not too straight to be endured and it has grieved me deeply that such a thought could find its way into my mind i have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not is my last refuge how graciously did jesus provide a separate consolation for each difficulty which he foresaw could meet his disciples on their way november eighth mother has been sick the doctor feared inflammation of the brain but she is better now i have had my first experience as a nurse and dr miguel's says i am a good one whenever i think of god's wonderful wonderful goodness to me and of my own sinfulness i want to find a place low at the foot of the cross where i may cover my face in the dust and yet go on praising him you do not know how all things have been made new to me within less than two years still i struggle fiercely every hour of my life for instance my desire to be much beloved by those dear to me is a source of constant grief some weeks ago a person who probably did not know this told me that i was remarkably lovable and that everybody said so i was so foolish so wicked as to be more pleased by this than i dare tell but enough so to give me after hours of bitter sorrow sometimes it seems to me that i grow prouder every day and i wanted to ask mother if she did not think so 
but I thought perhaps God is showing me my pride as I had never seen it, that I may wage war against this, his enemy and mine. I do not believe anybody else has such an evil nature as I. But let us never rest till we are satisfied with being counted as nothing, that our Saviour may be all in all. It seems no small portion of the joy that I long for in heaven to be thus self-forgetful in love to Christ. How strange that we do not now supremely love him! How I do long to live with those who praise him! I long to have every Christian with whom I meet speak of him with love and exalt him. November 12th. I have been very unwell and low-spirited. The cause of this, folks seem to agree, was overexertion during mother's sickness. To tell the truth, I was so anxious about her that I did not try to save my strength at all, and excitement kept me up, so that I was not conscious of any special fatigue till it was all over, and the reaction came, when I just went into a dead and alive state, and had the blues outrageously. It seemed as if I could do nothing but fold my hands and cry. Sister is coming home this winter. I would like you to see this letter of hers. She is as nearly a perfectionist now as your father is. She begs me to read the New Testament and to pray for a knowledge of the truth. And so I have for a year and a half. And this is what I learned thereby. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, at least such as I find mine to be. To be sure that I am not perfect is no proof that I may not become so. However, I feel most sympathy with those who, like Martin, Brainerd, and my father, had to fight their way through. Yet her remarks threw my mind into great confusion at first, and I knew not what to do. Thereupon I went at once with my difficulties to the Lord, and tried to seek the truth, whatever it might be from Him. It seems to me that I am safe while in His hands, and that if those things are essential, He will not withhold them from me. Truly, if there is a royal road to holiness, and if in one moment of time sin may crushed and forever slain, I of all others should know it, for at present the way is thronged with difficulties. It seems to me that I am made of wants. I need everything. At the same time, how great is the goodness of God to me! I long to have my heart so filled with the one single image of my Redeemer, that it shall ever flow in spontaneous adoration. Such a Saviour! I am pained to the very depths of my soul because I love Him so little. If I am only purified and made entirely the Lord's, let Him take His own course and make the refining process ever so painful. When the shore is won at last, who will count the billows past? December 16th Do you remember what Father said about losing his will when near the close of his life? That remark has always made the subject of a lost will interesting to me. There is another place where he wishes he had known this blessedness twenty years before. December 18th. I am very, very happy, and yet it is hardly a happiness which I can describe. You know what it is to rejoice in the sweet consciousness that there is a Savior, a near and a present Savior, and thus am I now rejoicing, grateful to him for his holy nature, for his power over me, for his dealings with me, for a thousand things which I can only try to express to him. Oh, how excellent above all treasures does he now appear! One minute of nearness to the Lord Jesus contains more of delight than years spent in intercourse with any earthly friend. I could not but own to-night that God can make me happy, 
without a right hand or a right eye. Lord, make me thine, and I will cheerfully give thee all. December 22nd. As to my Italian and Tasso, I am ashamed to tell you how slow I have been. Between company and housework and sewing, I have my hands about full and precious little time for reading and study. Still, I feel that I live a life of too much ease. I should love to spend the rest of my existence in the actual service of the Lord, without a question as to its ease and comfort. Reading Brainerd this afternoon made me long for his loose hold upon earthly things. I do not know how to attain such a spirit. Is it by prayer alone, and the consequent sense of the worth of divine things, that this deadness to the world is to be gained, or by giving up, casting away the treasures which withdraw the heart, or have a tendency to withdraw it from God? This is quite an interesting question to me now, and I should really like it settled. The thought of living apart from God is more dreadful than any affliction I can think of. Here are some passages from two leaves of her journal, which escaped the flames. They touch upon another side of her life at this period. December 1st, 1841. I went to the sewing circle this afternoon, and had such a stupid time. Enough gossip and nonsense was talked to make one sick, and I'm sure it wasn't the fault of my head that my hair didn't stand on end. Now my mother is a very sensible mother, but when she urges me into company, and exhorts me to be more social, she runs the risk of having me become as silly as the rest of them. She fears I may be harmed by reading and studying and staying with her, but heaven forbid I should find things in books, worse than things out of them. I can't think that the girls are the silly creatures they make themselves appear. They want an aim in life, some worthy object. Give them that, and the good and excellent, which I am sure lies hidden in their nature, will develop itself at once. When the young men rushed in, and the girls began looking unutterable things, I rushed out and came home. I can't and won't talk nonsense and flirt with those boys. Oh, what is it I do want? Somebody who feels as I feel, and thinks as I think. But where shall I find the somebody? The seventh. Frolicked with G, rushed upstairs with a glass lamp in my hand, went full tilt against the door, and smashed the lamp got the oil on my dress on two carpets, besides spattering the wall. First consequence, a horrible smell of lamp oil. Second, great quakings, shakings, and wonderings what my ma would say when she came home. Third, ablutions, groanings, ironings. Fourth, a story for the companion long enough to pay for that ear old lamp. Letting alone that, I've been a very good girl today, studied, made a call, went to see H. R. with books, cakes, apples, and, what's more, my precious tongue wherewith I discoursed to her. Fourteenth. Busy all day. Carried a basket full of whittles to old man Burns. Heard an original account of the deluge from the poor woman. Wished I was as near heaven as she seems to be. Studied, sewed, taught T and E. Tried to be a good girl, and didn't have the blues once. Twentieth spent most of the afternoon with Lucy, who is sick. She held my hand in hers, and kissed it over and over, and expressed so much love and gratitude and interest in the Sunday school that I felt ashamed. Twenty-fourth. Helped Mother bake all the morning, studied in the afternoon, got into a frolic, 
and went out after dark with G to shovel snow, and then paddled down to L's with a Christmas pudding, whereby I got a real backache, leg ache, neck ache, and all over ache, which is just good enough for me. I was in the funniest state of mind this afternoon. I guess anybody who had seen me would have thought so. 25th, Saturday. Got up early and ran down to Sally Johnson's with a big pudding, consequence whereof a horrible pain in my side. I don't care, though. I do love to carry puddings to good old grannies. January 1st, 1842. Began the new year by going to see Lucy, fainting, tumbling down flat on the floor, and scaring everybody half out of their wits. I don't think people ought to like me on the whole, but when they do, ain't I glad? I wonder if perfectly honest-hearted people want to be loved better than they deserve, as in one sense I, with yet a pretty honest heart, do. I wonder how other folks think, feel inside. Wish I knew. Most of the year, 1842, was passed at home in household duties, in study, and in trying to do good. Never had she been busier, or more helpful to her mother, and never more interested in the things of God. It was a year of genuine spiritual growth, and also of sharp discipline. The true ideal of the Christian life revealed itself to her more and more distinctly, while at the same time she had opportunity both to learn and to practice some of its hardest lessons. A few extracts from letters to her cousin will give an inkling of its character. March 19, 1842 Sometimes I have thought my desire to live for my Saviour and to labor for Him had increased. It certainly seems wonderful to me now that I could ever have wished to die, as I used to do, when I had done nothing for God. The way of life which appears most attractive is that spent in persevering and unwearying toil for Him. There was a warmth and a fervency to my religious feelings the first year after my true hope, which I do not find now and often sigh for. But I think my mind is more seriously determined for God than it was then, and that my principles are more fixed. Still, I am less than the least of all. I have read not quite five cantos of Tasso. You will think me rather indolent. But I have had a great deal to do, which has hindered study and reading. May 3rd. The Christian life was never dearer to me than it is now, but it throngs with daily increasing difficulties. You who have become a believer in perfection may say that this conflict is not essential, and indeed I have been so weary of late of struggling that I am almost ready to fly to the doctrine myself. I have certainly been made more willing to seek knowledge on this point from the Holy Spirit. September 30th. You speak of indulging unusually of late in your natural vivacity and finding it prejudicial. Here is a point on which I am completely bewildered. I find that if for a month or two I steadily set myself to the unwearied pursuit of spirituality of mind and entire weanedness from the world, a sad reaction will follow. My efforts slightly relax, I indulge in mirthful or worldly, in the sense of not religious, conversation, delight in it, and find my health and spirits better for it. But then my spiritual appetites at once become less keen, and from conversation I go to reading, from reading to writing, and then comes the question, am I not going back? And I turn from all to follow hard after the Lord. Is this a part of our poor humanity above which we cannot rise? 
This is a hard world to live in, and it will prove a trying one to me, or I shall love it dearly. I have had temptations during the last six months on points where I thought I stood so safely that there was no danger of a fall. Perhaps it is good for us to be allowed to go to certain lengths, that we may see what wonderful supplies of grace our Lord gives us every hour of our lives. October 1st. I have had two or three singular hours of excitement since I left writing to you last evening. If you were here, I should be glad to read you a late passage in my history, which has come to its crisis and is over with, thanks to him who so wonderfully guides me by his counsel. If I ever saw the hand of God distinctly held forth for my help, I have seen it here, coming in the right time, in the right way, all right. End of chapter 3, part 1 of the life and letters of Elizabeth Prentice. Recording by Teresa Downey.